You're listening to a message from Victory Church of the Bay Area. For more information, please visit us on our website at victoryus.org. We are on the last installment of our series on Jonah, and uh, we are, we've been looking at the last three chapters of Jonah over the last three weeks, and uh, for those of you who are first-timers here this morning, We've been looking at Jonah, and Jonah was a prophet in the southern kingdom of Judah during the time of, of Israel's king, Jeroboam II. And, um, and God called this prophet to go northeast. He was called to go northeast to the city of Nineveh to preach against that city because that city's evil ways and its sin you know, have reached heaven. It's so great and so vast that God was going to preach against it, and if they don't turn away, that the wrath of God, the, the judgment of God will be upon that city. And so Nineveh was, uh, was a very important city in the Assyrian kingdom, in the Assyrian empire. As a matter of fact, it became, later on, after Jonah's time, it became the capital city of the Assyrian empire. So this is an ancient city, and it's a very important city in this region. But Jonah had some prejudices that because of his because of his nation's conflict with Assyria, he didn't want to go there. And so he, di- he disobeyed the Lord. He deliberately disobeyed the Lord. And so by, instead of going northeast, he boarded a ship that would sail across the Mediterranean Sea all the way to the, to the western end of the Mediterranean just to disobey God. He didn't want to obey the Lord's will. And he wanted basically to run away from the Lord's presence. But God is everywhere. And so God sends a storm along the Mediterranean Sea that met the ship where Jonah was. And so everyone there were afraid for their lives. They were fearful. They thought they were going to die. And then Jonah told them, it is on my account that we are in peril today. Basically, I have disobeyed the Lord. He told me to do something, and I ran away from him. And so upon his suggestion to the sailors, he was thrown overboard. And when he was thrown into the sea... The storm stopped, and then as he was sinking, obviously about to drown and die, God sends, says there, God provided a great fish to swallow Jonah. So we would think normally, in the natural, that would be the end of this man. But supernaturally, he was kept alive in the belly of that great fish for three days and three nights. And while in that state, while inside the belly of the fish, he was still alive, he basically saw that God was giving him a chance at the fact that he was still alive, he realized that God was merciful to him. And so whether he was going to die or not, whether he was going to get out of the belly of the fish or not, he didn't know. But the fact that he was still alive at the time, he was able to, to pray to God and give thanks to God. And he turned his heart towards, towards the holy city of Jerusalem. Um, I don't know how he did that, but basically his heart, his posture was to turn back to the Lord. And, and so the Lord heard the prayer of Jonah, he was changed, he was repentant, and so he sends the fish back to where he started when he boarded uh, that ship, somewhere there along the coast, okay, on the eastern coast of the Mediterranean, and the fish vomited Jonah out, and then he was on dry land, and a second time the Lord spoke to him, said to him the same thing he said the first time. He didn't change his call, he was still called to go to Nineveh, And this time, Jonah didn't disobey, but he 
went. And as he went to Nineveh, that city is a huge city. During their time, it would take about three days' journey to go around it or through it. You know, Bible scholars are debating that. Either it's through it or around it. Either way, it's a big city. So one day's journey into the city, he preached. Yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And his preaching, for some reason, you know, and so God sent him there, and God anointed his message. Let me tell you this. If God sends you to a place, doesn't matter what the place is or what the people are like, know that if God has sent you, his anointing is upon you. His grace will be upon you to accomplish what he has called you to do. So, so as he preached to the Ninevites, the Ninevites heard this message, and this message was reverberated around the city, all over the city, that it reached the king of Nineveh, and the king and all his nobles, and basically all of, all of the people of Nineveh responded to that message in repentance. So they repented. They did not know God. But they understood that this God of Jonah, perhaps they have heard of him in the past because of the history of Israel. They repented and turned away from their wicked ways and their evil and then violence in their hearts. And as they repented, God relented from sending the calamity. Okay, so that we see is the grace of God. And those are basically that's a nutshell of the first three chapters. Now, let's go ahead and stand up and we're going to read. Chapter 4, verses 1 through 4, but we're going to do a commentary on the whole chapter later as we go through this message. I've entitled this message, God's Relentless Grace. God's Relentless Grace, and we're going to see that. As a matter of fact, that's the entire theme, one of the major themes of this book. So chapter 4, verse 1, I'm reading from the English Standard Version. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Father in heaven, we thank you that you are a gracious and merciful God. As we sang a while ago, your grace changes everything. We thank you, God, that instead of us receiving what we deserve, Lord, you, Lord, you didn't give us what we deserve. You gave us mercy and you extended it by giving us grace, giving us what we do not deserve. Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes, that we would see your, your relentless grace in our lives. Lord, that we would not run away from it, but that we would run to it. That we would run in your grace, that we would live in your grace, that we would glorify your name by your grace. And it is only by grace alone that we stand, and it's only by grace that you enable us to live our lives for your glory. Lord, we just lift up this sermon to you. We pray that your seed, the seed of your word, be planted in our hearts so that we may walk in obedience to it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. May you all take your seats. You know, it's interesting here. Chapter 2, we see Jonah's response to his own deliverance. Okay, he responded and he repented and then he, when he was delivered, he responded in obedience. But here in chapter 4, 
we see Jonah's response to the deliverance of the people of Nineveh. And it's interesting, we, we as a people, we cry out for mercy. You know, we cry to God for mercy when we make mistakes and we long to be forgiven. We know we don't deserve that, but he extends it to us. But many times, when God extends mercy and grace to others, especially to those we really don't feel like, you know, we, we don't really like, we don't really, you know, we don't really get them, we don't really like them, we don't want to be with them, or especially when God extends his mercy and grace to our enemies, we kind of don't like it. So how many of you are watching this TV series, uh, A.D.? The Bible continues. Are you watching it? You see, Paul the Apostle, you know, he was now, he had an encounter with Jesus. And he, because of that encounter, he changed. He was a persecutor of the church. And now he is preaching the message of the gospel. But a lot of the original disciples and the apostles are kind of wary of him. You get what I'm saying? When Peter was, it was difficult for Peter to extend that forgiveness when in fact his Lord Extended mercy and, and grace to Paul. It's kind of like that when, when you have your enemy and God extends grace to him. It's kind of like, unfair. You say, Un- this is so unfair. And many times when we think that way, we kind of think that we deserve the mercy and the grace that we enjoy. You get what I'm saying here? We think that we deserve it, but mercy is something you do not deserve. Grace is something you do not deserve. Okay, so, so here, one of the ma- major themes of the book, as I've said, is... God's mercy and love, his compassion. And so I want us to think about that. Why is it important to have God's compassion in our lives? Okay, just as we go through this message, let's think about that. Why is it important to understand the compassion of God and to have it in our lives? How many of you are thankful that you are a recipient of the compassion of God? The Bible says freely as we received, freely we are too give and extend, okay? So we are not to withhold from others the thing that we have received, okay? So if we receive comfort, we are to give comfort. If we receive mercy, we are to be merciful. If God has forgiven us, then we are to be able to forgive, okay? And so let's go through the story right now. In verse 1, it says there, again, the context here, the background here for this verse, verse 1, is that God just relented from sending the calamity to the Ninevites because they repented. You know, when, you, when you repent, God relents from his judgment. He Either he, he basically delays it. Obviously, as we look at the history of Nineveh, we will see that it was indeed taken over sometime later. Okay, So the repentance of the Ninevites were not long-lasting, but yet there was, there was actual repentance and revival during the time of Jonah. All right, so, um, so it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. When God gave mercy and grace to, to the people he did not like, he was angry. Remember his preaching was, you know, he said, Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And there was no call for repentance, but yet the Ninevites responded in repentance. And he was angry. And it displeased him. As a matter of fact, as we look at this same verse, in the Hebrew sense, this is what it really is saying. It was exceedingly evil to Jonah. He felt that was wrong. God, that's a wrong call. How many of us may have not said that, but the thought crossed your mind when 
You wanted something and God did something else and you felt wronged. Come on now. Don't raise your hand. Okay, but have you, have you felt that? Give me, give me a... Don't raise your hand, but do this so I can see. <laughs> Many people have felt that. They may not have verbalized it, but the thought is there. This is wrong. Lord, I don't deserve this. Lord, why send me out here? You said 40 days and they're going to be annihilated. And I'd love to see that. And you relent? Why did you send me here for? You see, Jonah repented in the belly of the fish. But apparently, his repentance and his change of heart was, was not complete. He repented of his disobedience, but his heart was bitter, resentful, and prejudiced heart was still there. And many times, how many of you have repented of your sin? You've given your life to Jesus, right? But as you follow him, you see God unpacks your life. You're already saved. You're already in his, in his grace. You're no longer sinner. And yet, while you're there in that saved state, he is cleansing you. He is sanctifying you. Okay? And as he sanctifies you, there are things in your heart that come up. And sanctification is a lifelong process. I've been a, a follower of Christ for 26 plus years or 27 years. And there's still things that God is bringing out in my heart, from my heart and my life, that I repent of. That he shows to me and I repent. Does that mean I'm not saved? I am already saved. But he is cleansing me. And that's what's happening here. And you see, the heart of Jonah was exposed here. Okay? In church, sometimes your hearts are exposed. You know, when, when you walk in here sometimes, I'm just, uh, I'm, this is just getting some from, <laughs> from the air. Okay? Sometimes you walk in here or people walk in the church and the pastor greets people and then he doesn't greet you. And you go, he greets everybody but me. And everybody's worshiping. And this person is so offended. And he looks at the pastor, and the pastor's in the presence of God. Everybody's in the presence of God, and he, he's just burning in his offense. Everybody's enjoying the presence of God, and he is there nursing his offense, nurturing that offense. He's missing the whole point of why he's there. You get what I'm saying? The heart is deceitful above all things. And many times, God exposes the heart to you so that you can repent of it. Okay, so he was dis Jonah was displeased. God, this is a wrong call. In other words, see, I told you. See, I know better. I know better. Had I just gone, gone ahead with that relationship, I would be enjoying right now. But no, you have to call me to a life of obedience. And now I'm suffering. Well, I could be enjoying there. Come on now. <laughs> I could be with that person. Instead, I'm here. I could be this billionaire. No, but no, you have to call me the missions. Some people are snickering. It's ouch. <laughs> Verse 2, he prayed after he <laughs> says here, displeased him, right? He was angry. He was a brat here. And in his displeasure, in his anger, in his mindset that, God, you're wrong, he prayed to the Lord. You know, prayer is communication with God, right? Communing with God. You're talking to God. And he was definitely talking to God, letting him know his displeasure. Some people, when they talk to God, they hide their displeasure from God. They think that they could hide it. God knows the heart. 
but here Jonah was transparent. He was just letting it all out. <laughs> he prayed to the Lord, and this second time, remember, the first time we see in this story that he prayed, he prayed the first time, and he was asking God. He was thanking God, and he was basically asking God to save him. Here he was praying, but his attitude was different. Okay? He prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? See, I told you this was going to happen. <laughs> and it's interesting. Look at what he says here. Oh, Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Jonah was a learned prophet. This is actually is a common, common description of God in prayers. Okay, as so you look at the entire Old Testament, you'll see this phrase that Jonah just said, this thing that he knew, is pretty common. As a matter of fact, in Exodus chapter 34, it says, says, The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. This is the Lord revealing himself to the nation of Israel. Declare this so that everybody will know that the Lord is a merciful and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. So Jonah was a learned prophet. He knew, he understood what his heritage was. He understood how God has revealed himself to the nation of Israel. So he knew that, and yet he missed it. And look at this. It's interesting. It says there that he knew. Another prophet that said the same thing, Joel, not Joel Belangdal. The prophet Joel said this, rend your hearts, not your garments. You see, the Ninevites rent their garments and they put on sackcloth. And those are external acts of repentance. How do we do that today? How do you repent? Some people, when they repent, they just they go like this. They beat their chest. Some people repent by kneeling down, especially when you offend your wife or your husband. Oh, please forgive me. And you cry a lot. In their day, they would wail, oh, Lord. And they, they, were, they would say some prayers, okay? So, and then they put on sackcloth and they rent their garments. But those are external manifestations of a repentance that should originate from inside, from the heart. And that's why it says, rend your hearts, not just your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. See, same thing that Jonah said. But he missed the first part, rend your hearts. That's the most important part. As you respond to who God is, and if you're not in sync with him, Rend your heart. In other words, repent. Okay? Tell the person next to you, repent. Rend your heart. Rend your heart, not just your garment. In other words, let your repentance be from the inside, not just external. Okay? His heart was revealed here in this verse, verse 2. It's very packed. Okay? It's very packed here. So the heart of Jonah was revealed. And here it is revealed that his prejudice made him unwilling to be like God with regards to 
his mercy towards the Ninevites. Do you realize that when you allow your biases, your prejudices to blind you, it will, you know, if you allow it, if you hold on to it, nurture it, it will blind you to God's mercy. You see a lot of judgmental people. You see a lot of religious people today. They know the truth, and yet they pound the truth on people without love. I'm paraphrasing a quote. I'm just remembering right now. I forgot who said this. But uh, he said, Biblical orthodoxy sure looks ugly when there is no love in it. You know those people who are so devoted to the truth, to theology, and yet they don't practice the theology. Dr. Greg Mitchell was here, and the whole point, what is the greatest commandment? The greatest commandment is, you shall know thy theology. Theology is important, but theology should, should produce love. And see here, Jonah was unwilling to be like God in being loving and gracious and merciful because he was holding on still to his prejudice. And Jonah complained against God's clemency. Verse 3, therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. How many of you have said that because of the overwhelming weight of your circumstances? Oh, please take my life now. It's better for me to die than to live. It's better for me to get out of this situation than to endure. Endure this situation. I can't stand it anymore. I can't take it anymore. Please take me. Sometimes in your frustration you say that. But Jonah was serious here. Lord, please take me now. He was saying, Lord, I'm better off dead than alive. God wanted him alive. But he's saying, I'm better off dead. Again, he's saying that he knows better. He knows more than, than God, that he knows what's best for his life. Verse 4, and the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? In the NIV, it says, is it right for you to be angry? Or in the New American Standard Bible, it says, do you have good reason to be angry? Let me paraphrase that. Do you have the right to be angry? Is it right for you to be angry at this time? When I show mercy, the Bible says in the Old Testament, says, I am the Lord. I will show mercy to whom I will show mercy to. That's how sovereign God is. Remember, we don't deserve mercy from God. But the fact that he extends mercy and grace, that's a bonus. But he doesn't have to. Are you tracking with me? He doesn't have to. So Jonah was having this open communication with God. He was being honest with God. He was being honest with his emotions. I'm better off dead. I'm angry. I'm angry. And many times, how many of you sometimes when you wanted something so bad and God doesn't allow you to have it or God delays it or God denies it or he has something better and yet you hold on to what you wanted and you, and you sulk for a while and you're mad and you're, you become a brat for a while and then you shift from that, that mood, that brattiness and then you go, no, 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 you know what? It's not going to happen. That's a stage of denial, right? When you lose something or someone one of the stages of grief is denial. No, no, I can't accept that. that. That can't be true. And you wrestle with that. You wrestle with those emotions. And so here you say, nope. And here Jonah goes, no, this is, no, no, no. You know what? 
You proclaimed it 40 days, and you're going to overthrow Nineveh. And so here's what Jonah does. Jonah, after talking to God, expressing his anger, he went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. He was expecting God to still wipe out the city. I get to see this, you know. I've heard of Sodom and Gomorrah getting destroyed. I get to see this. Woo-hoo-hoo. He was excited. But he was just in a conversation with God. And he knew God relented from the calamity. And here, he's still insisting on what he desired. How many of us can relate with that? Can you relate to that? Sometimes God already said no, and you're still in denial. <laughs> Somehow, he was still expecting the city to be destroyed by God. Now, in verses 6, 7, and 8, you will see a phrase there as we will read along. You will see this word appointed. We're reading from the ESV. In the NIV, it says provided, the Lord provided. And in the New Revised Standard Version, it says prepared. So just like God provided or appointed a storm and appointed a great fish to get Jonah, Okay, he's appointing other things now. You see the sovereignty of God here. He provides what you need. And many times we confuse what we need with what we want, right? That's why when our kids, our kids, when we, we, every time we go to the mall, they go, Dad, can we go to Target? Can we go to this place? Or they would go to whatever place they want to go. Okay, and sometimes we indulge, sometimes, no, we got to go. But during those times that we would go to those places, you know, to be excited, and he would, they would lead us to those toys that they wanted, you know. So, I got to get this. Dad, I need to get this. Really? You need to get it? You need to get it? So now we we're teaching them to distinguish between want and need, right? So do you want it or do you need it? Of course, we know they want it. We're telling them you don't always get what you want, but you'll always get what you need. We want it. But we also need it. <laughs> and it's funny, during our uh, nightly prayer time, uh, our, our kids, the two younger ones, they would always pray, especially the younger one. Uh, Lord, please give us everything we, we need and want. <laughs> so they know the difference, but they're still praying for both. <laughs> but many times, God gives you what you need, not what you want. God gives you what you need at the time. Okay. God knew Jonah's heart, and he was going to put Jonah to school in the next few verses here because of his attitude, okay? He was in in a high altitude. He was there in a mountain overlooking Nineveh, so he's waiting, okay? So, but he had a bad attitude. And so, let's continue with the story. Now, the Lord, the Lord God appointed a plant, you see, he appointed the storm. He appointed, uh, he appointed Jonah to go to Nineveh. He appointed a storm. He appointed a fish. Now he has appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah miraculously, okay, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. You see, even in our stinking attitude, God still sometimes provides for our comfort. Grace. 
hypocrisy. But a lot of us think this is the life. See, I'm blessed. How many of you have always said, I'm blessed, I'm blessed. But deep in your heart, you think you deserve it. <laughs> you need to save him from his discomfort. You know, because during in, in this place, it's, it has sweltering heat. The place where Nineveh is, Nineveh was. Even today, that place, the place where Nineveh, ancient Nineveh was, it's so hot there. And here, so Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. Remember, in verse 1, he was exceedingly displeased, and he was exceedingly angry. And now, he was exceedingly glad. Sometimes it makes you wonder, is, is Jonah, is he like a guy or a girl? <laughs> Mood swings right there. So, anyway, I want, to, I want you to see something here. He was exceedingly glad because of the plant. Probably, he was saying, this is a sign. You see, I'm going to watch the city. God knows I wanted to watch the city get annihilated. And I sit here. And if he does not approve of this, he's not going to provide this shade. But he did. It's a sign of his approval. This is going to get exciting. How many of you can already relate there? This is probably a sign from God. You see, you see. This is what I've been wanting to do. And then God gives you a, just a little thing to your comfort. And you go, this is a sign. And it makes you happy. <laughs> he probably saw this provision as a confirmation of what he was expecting to happen to the city. Verses 7 and 8. Some of us say it, it must be a sign. It must be a sign for me. So 7 and 8. But when dawn came up. The next day, God appointed a worm. This is the next day. The previous day, God miraculously appointed or provided a plant to grow up, to grow quickly, supernaturally to provide shade for him. But the next day, God sends a worm that attacked the plant or that ate the plant so that it withered. This is your confirmation. And now you're taking it away? <laughs> and here, as the, as the worm was eating on the plant, when the sun rose, God appointed, here we go again, scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. Have you experienced this, being in the desert? I mean, what's, have you been to the Mojave Desert? Have you been to, to the Mojave Desert? You know what's in the, in the middle of the Mojave Desert? Las Vegas. Have you been to Las Vegas? Have you experienced it in the summer? Can you, can you bear it? He was waiting there. Remember, there were no air conditioners during his time. So he was under that sweltering heat, and he no longer had any shade, and he saw the worm, you little worm. <laughs> and then it was God sending. He was bringing on the heat. God brought, brought down the heat upon Jonah, and he asked, that he might die. Here we go again. <laughs> and said, it is better for me to die than to live. You see? You're angry, and then you're, you're glad, and then you're mad again. Make up your mind, dude. <laughs> you see, God was putting Jonah to school here. And maybe some of us here would think, that God provided that sign for me. Why did he take it away? I'm so confused. Now, why would God do that, provide one thing? 
to you and then take it away the next? That's just harsh, God. I mean, just that's just harsh. That's mean. That's how you will react if you don't see his purpose in all those things. Remember, God appointed those things to teach him a lesson. He actually used the plant as an object lesson. Okay? That was the twist in the story. Verse 9. God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? I'm so angry. Why did you take away the plant? Now my comfort is gone. And he said, Jonah said, yes, I do well to be angry. Angry enough to die. You see, he's, <laughs> he's bratting out. <laughs> and the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow which came into being in a night and perished in a night. Here, Jonah was so concerned about the plant. Actually, he was not really concerned about the plant. You know what he was really concerned of? His comfort. Do you realize God can just take away things that are comfortable to teach us a lesson? You see, the lesson is more important than our comfort. But many times, we embrace the comfort and shun the lesson. So his concern was misplaced. He was concerned more for his comfort than the spiritual condition of the people of Nineveh. How many of us are like that? God's calling us to share the gospel to our friends, neighbors, and all we could think about is, that's so, I, I, you know, that's inconvenient. I don't want to do that. Oh, it's going to take me out of my comfort zone. I don't want to do that. God's calling us to share his love to your co-workers. And you know, I'm not really comfortable sharing my faith. I just, I'm more comfortable walking it out. But saying it and articulating it, I'm not that comfortable. Lord, here I am. Send someone else. Many times we're like that. I've had instances where people come up to me saying, you know, God's been telling me to, to share about his love to this office mate of mine or this friend of mine, or this neighbor of mine. And I, I was waiting for the right time. God already told you to go, and you're still waiting for the right time. We all make up excuses. And, and you know what? I didn't really do what God told me to do. And that friend of mine, or that coworker of mine, that neighbor of mine, he had an accident, or he passed away. So I don't know if he heard the message of the gospel. And they were going to face God, all of us, on that day of the Lord. And we're going to give account to that. Our concerns are so misplaced many times. We're more concerned with our convenience, with our comfort, rather than the needs of others. So Jonah was expecting a confirmation. He, what he thought was a confirmation from God was actually God's object lesson for him to reveal the lack of love in his heart. Verse 11 says there, and God said, should not I pity Nineveh? Many times we pity things that are least valuable more than the things God values most. And what does God value the most? People, right? We value our reputation. We value our image. We value our legacy, our bank account. I was in a conference in Orlando this week, and, and a lot of people think about legacy. 
But a lot, a lot of people think too much about their legacy to the point that it's all about them. And Pastor Steve preached in his session. He, he preached about a lot of well-known pastors in the world say almost every pastor is thinking about their legacy. And he said, I don't think about that. I don't think about my legacy at all. What he thinks about is his children and his spiritual children. And as he invests his life and his time to his family and to his spiritual family and to the people in the world, legacy will take care of itself. But if you think about legacy, then you're going to miss out on how that legacy is built. You would think that it's about you. God values people most. And here he says, should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left? Was that literal? Everybody raise your right hand. I'm raising my left. <laughs> he didn't notice. Maybe we're like these people. This is just a figure of speech saying that they are ignorant of what is right. They're ignorant. That's why they're evil ways and their sin and their wickedness it's it, these are all so rampant because they are ignorant they don't even know and god has compassion for them doesn't even know isn't this consistent when jesus was on the cross people were shouting at him cursing him and you know jeering and mocking him and what did he say father forgive them for they do not know what they do. It's pretty consistent how God is. And here, says there, do not know their left and right. And also, I pity for Nineveh because of all these people, these ignorant people, and all the cattle, that much cattle. In other words, God cares about his creation. He cares about people the most, but he does care about everything because he made everything. So all throughout the book of Jonah, we see that the compassion of God is one of the major themes. God is a compassionate and gracious God, and he values people the most. And therefore, a lack of compassion is a lack of love. God is a God of love. That's why he's compassionate. And if we lack compassion, what does that tell us? That, that we lack love. That we don't understand the love we have received. So point of application, just very quickly. See, Jonah is a picture of followers of Christ, of believers. Not every follower of Christ is really gung-ho and everything. So some followers of Christ are like Jonah, stubborn, arrogant, prejudiced. See, Jonah is a clear picture of the church or a cl clear picture of believers. We sometimes respond like Jonah. And I'd like to share with you just three as, as we bring this to a close. Three things that can hinder us from moving in compassion, that can blind us to compassion. First is preference. Thinking about yourself, your convenience, your comfort will blind you to the needs of others. Preference can be a compassion blinder. I prefer, you know, I prefer a certain way to do things. This is what, how God is doing. We are to align with God and we are to 
you know, follow his lead. And yet, sometimes this is how my programming is, this is how my leading is, and I, this is how I prefer things to be done. And if it's not done that way, uh, and if there's a need to minister to others, but it's done in a way that is not preferential to you, you say no. Preference. Thinking about your comfort, your convenience, can blind you to compassion. Secondly, we've seen this in, in Jonah. He would prefer to die than to live. He would prefer to, to disobey God and keep his social status quo than to obey God. He would prefer not to leave his comfort zone. Preference can blind you to compassion. Secondly, prejudice can blind you to the needs of others. This is so obvious. Many times we are racially prejudiced. We think that one race is better than the other. We think that our race is better. You know, we see, we see the hubris of that thinking. In World War II, you know, the Nazi leader, Adolf Hitler, thought that the Aryan race was so dominant, the Jewish race was to be annihilated. See the hubris there. Prejudice. So instead of showing compassion, it was genocide. Prejudice is in the heart. Sometimes it's a social class, not a race, but a social class. I'm rich, you're poor, stay away from me. Because you don't wear clothes that have alligators on your chest, I'm not going to relate with you. You're beneath me. What kind of car you drive? Oh, you don't have a car? Okay, nice knowing you. This is funny, but people are prejudiced this way. And they judge people simply because of their social status. You see, God can just flip things around. What if you find yourself suddenly on that end and you find someone like you who's prejudiced? You need help and nobody would want to extend their help to you. That is wrong. Are we? What is your race? Is it better than everybody else? Really? I mean, really? Because you went to this school, you're better than everybody else? Because you live in this neighborhood, you're better than everybody else? You only reach out to your people? These are my people. Oh, those are not my people. I only preach the gospel as long as there's comfort and affluence. And You see, also some of the poorest people are so insecure that they shun rich people. They're prejudiced towards them because you know what? They always look down upon us, so excuse the term, to hell with them. It's just going to be us. And they're so insecure. They don't want people, rich people to come. You see, there is prejudice. Prejudice can blind you to compassion. Lastly, pride is obviously a blinder. Arrogance, bitterness, unforgiveness, these are all forms of pride. The reason why people cannot forgive is because of pride. Pride will let you be blinded to the needs of others. How many of you have seen the play Les Miserables? Or how many of you have seen the movie? Okay. In that play, Victor Hugo talks about this character, Jean Valjean. Okay. And he, was, he spent 20 years as a prisoner in the galleys in those boats. Because of a theft he had done about 20 years prior to that, he stole a loaf of bread to feed the starving children of his sister. That's the only crime he, he did. And then 
after he was set free after 20 years, because of his, him being a convict, a former convict, nobody would, would give him a job or he, nobody would take him. So he was there in, the, in this monastery. And then, and then the bishop invited him to the, to, you know, to, for the night, to stay the night. He gave him food and shelter. But overcome with temptation, Jean Valjean takes the silver that was in the home, in the residence of the bishop, takes the silver, the silverware, and then leaves. But he gets caught. He was brought back to the bishop. Say, we found your silver. And he says, you gave it to him. And then the bishop walks up to the police and says, oh, yes, he, I gave that to him. As a matter of fact, you left so early, you forgot the most important thing here, the silver candlesticks, candle holders. You forgot them. Release him. So he was released. And he said, I hope that what you have, use the silver for you to become a better man. I forgive you. And as you know the story, that encounter with grace, with mercy, with forgiveness changed his life. And because of that, he strove to be a better man. Some say that he received salvation at that point. He trusted in God. And because of that, he became, you know, someone who's, who would help people whenever they would be in need. So, you know, that's, that's a story there. And that's a story of compassion and mercy. You see, the ultimate example of mercy is Jesus Christ. His love for us and his mercy for us enabled us to receive salvation. Romans 5.8 says, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. John 14 says this, all who love me will do what I say. You see, the way we love others is a reflection of how we love God, of how we know Jesus' love. My father will love them and we will come to him, come and make our home with each of them. Anyone who doesn't love me will not obey me. You see, to love others, it is to love God and to love others. That, that's the supreme commandment. And for you to have lack of love, lack of compassion, you see, you, you don't really love Jesus. Because if you do love Jesus, you will love others. There will be no lack of compassion. So here's what we need to do. We, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. When you clothe yourselves with compassion and all these things, you know what you're doing? You're covering who you are, you, and you're putting on the nature of God. And when people see that you move in compassion, mercy, and kindness, and love, you know who they will see? They will not see you. They will see the God you serve. They will see the God you love. Lack of compassion shows a lack of love. Compassion reveals the love of God. Amen? So I'll stand and pray right now. Father in heaven, we thank you for this time. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for that you showed us your compassion. Lord, you demonstrated your love for us while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. And Lord, today we are recipients of your compassion and we are recipients of your grace by faith in Christ. Lord Jesus Christ is the only way for us to walk in your grace and to walk in your compassion and your mercy and your love. And Lord, as we follow Jesus, our Lord and Savior, our Master, our King, may we grow in our relationship with Him. May we 
grow in our knowledge of Him and may we grow in His love for us. That in turn, as we love God with all our hearts, with all our soul, mind, and strength, that we would love our neighbors as ourselves. Lord, that we would see past the social barriers, that we would see past the racial barriers, that we would see past the preferential barriers and all the prejudices. And Lord, that we would see past even our own pride, that we would see others the way you see them. Lord, you died for them. You died for me. You died for us. And Lord, thank you that you gave us the opportunity to receive your grace. But Lord, there's a multitude of people out there who need you. And Lord, they're praying to you right now. They're asking for your mercy and your grace. And Lord, you've sent it to them by your son. And your son, Jesus, our Lord, is sending us as his instruments of grace and mercy to them. Lord, may we not allow preferences to hinder us from moving in compassion and love and grace. May we not allow prejudice in our lives to hinder us. May we not allow our own pride. Lord, would you cleanse us from these things? Lord, in you, there's no more Jew nor Gentile. Lord, there's no more slave or free. There's no more rich or poor. Lord, in you, Lord, we are all one. We're all the same. We are children of God. And those out there, Lord, they're, they're longing to be your children. And you're using us to help lead them. Lord, I pray. We repent of our haughtiness. We repent of our pride and prejudice. We repent of our preferences. And Lord, we say that you, we ask that you would cleanse us. Forgive us and cleanse us. And help us to walk in your grace and be gracious with others. As we go out there, help us not to look to our own lives. Help us not to just look after our own comfort and convenience. But Lord, use us to be your instruments so that other people's lives will become better because they know you. And you've used us to be your instruments. Use us, Lord, to introduce you to them and help us to love as we understand your love more and more. Lord, we receive your healing, your forgiveness. We also receive your commission. Lord, that we would go out there with the compassion and grace of God, knowing that it is your loving kindness that draws people to repentance. Let that loving kindness be expressed in and through our lives as we reach out to people so that the Lamb of God could receive the reward of His suffering. Jesus, be glorified as we respond to you and say, here we are, Lord. Send us to the world. Send us to the world you died for. Change our hearts, Lord God. May we live our lives for your glory and honor.